you know, it was challenging, um, but we did it. And then I was just singing in my helmet and I was on cloud nine and uh, so happy. And so it was apparent then that, okay, this, this therapy actually worked. And, you know, I was, we still had to go, you know, 2000 miles across deserts and more way, lots and lots of mountain ranges and yeah. camp. This is a Life in Motion audio experience, a podcast about travel, action sports, culture, and more. What's up, and welcome to episode 63 of Life in Motion. I've got Matthew Sturdivant on the line, who's the author of The Topography of Fear, a story of his 6,000-mile ride across the country and how he's used that experience in the great outdoors, among other things, to overcome a sometimes crippling anxiety and fear. I'm excited to learn more about his journey and how he's faced uh, something that many of us probably battle with on a daily basis. Um, but Matthew, thank you for being on the show today. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Really, really glad to be here. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited to, to chat and kind of, you know, share these different things. So, um, but before we kind of get into the, the story and, and some of those things that I mentioned uh, earlier, uh, let's kind of set the stage of who you are, you know, kind of, uh, you know, what, what shaped your, your background, where you grew up, kind of hobbies you had, you know, where did it all begin? Yeah. So uh, most of my upbringing was in Wisconsin. And uh, after that, I moved to Austin, Texas. And uh, so 10 years in uh, Wisconsin, and then uh, lots of years in, in Austin. <laughs> and uh, uh, you know, I got into, uh, I was a little one, I was a little kid, me and my buddies would ride BMX bikes. And then as I got older, that led to mountain bikes. And that sort of uh, framed my outdoorsiness. Um, in Texas, I was working at a outdoor retailer. So I was always uh, talking to people about camping and doing lots of action sports myself. So, you know, hiking, kayaking, um, uh, mountain biking, ca camping from the bicycle, all those kinds of things for for many decades now. And uh, yeah, I just uh, I enjoy being outdoors because it's sort of life from concentrate. Um, yeah, you you experience things at a at a faster rate and you feel them with all your senses. So, you know, if I'm on a bicycle or hiking, you know, I I notice the the crackle of uh, leaves or the, the the temperature of the pine needles under my fingertips. Whereas if I was just in a car or sitting on the couch watching something, it's just blah. And it, you know, it's the same as yesterday, but <clears throat> when you're outside, uh, it really, uh, it slows time down a little bit and you know, you, it's always, it's almost always healthy. So yeah, yeah that's kind of um, why I've been um, somebody who likes to spend as much time as possible outside. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, it's obviously a good place to connect. And uh, it's funny that you grew up uh, BMX biking. So I still I still do BMX biking. Um, oh, yeah. And uh, that that kind of whole path has kind of led to my different opportunities to experience different things as well and e even meet my wife. Um, so so that's funny. And actually, the last time that the X Games was in Austin, my wife and I went. Uh, so we mm -hmm. got to experience a little bit of Austin, not as not as not the full uh the full lay of the land because we were mixing in between the two, but it was a uh, it was awesome to visit. Yeah, I um I sometimes say it's a great town to grow up in unless you want to grow up because <laughs> there's always a party, there's always a concert, there's always <laughs> uh, shenanigans to get involved with. But um no, I I, I love Austin, and um I it was just time to, I'd been there for thirty years. It was time to do something else. So yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. So, and, and that, yeah, that, that makes sense. Always need a little change of change of pace there. Um, so, uh, and actually speaking of Austin, before we jump to, you know, you moving and that kind of stuff, um, and, and, you know, I mentioned a, a book earlier, but you also have another book, the sound of Austin. And, um, in that, I think you, uh, interviewed some, some pretty, uh, uh, interesting people <laughs> that yeah, people so might, might I, recognize. Um, Sure, sure. Um, I don't know exactly what your demographic is. I imagine my my audience for that book was a little bit older, but everybody knows that Austin is the the mecca of music, and uh, it's not the shiny uh, shiny cowboy boots and uh, you know be, bejazzled. Uh, I don't know what the word is. You know, blue jeans with yeah, jewelry yeah. on them. <laughs> it's like the authentic the authentic um, people who you know play their own instruments, write their own songs. And I had been seeing live music for so many years. And another thing kind of happened that was sort of magical. I was working as a photographer for, for many years, um, for about 25 years, that, that was the sole way I made a living. And I would show up to a wedding or a corporate gig and as I'm unloading my light, lighting equipment, I would see a band and I'm like, oh, you're the, you guys are the band this week, cool. And um, it'd be, you know, some some band that I've seen a hundred times and you sort of get this mutual respect because you're doing these gigs that are maybe less desirable, but it allows you to, to keep your dream alive and still be, you know, quote unquote, a photographer who, who makes a living. I mean, that's all I did. So I guess the quote, mark, quote marks weren't needed, but <laughs> there's times there's times when it gets really lean and um, you share that journey with these musicians, too. So. Um, I don't know. I've always had a big respect for them. Plus they have the cojones to get on stage and yeah. share their soul with an audience that doesn't know them. And, and that takes a lot of courage. Uh, and, you know, uh, they write songs from scratch. Uh, photographers, a lot of the pho photographs you see, it's, it's called taking pictures for a reason, not making pictures. Yeah. Um, so, uh, and in my book, I tried to do really intimate portraits rather than like concert shots because anybody can do a concert shot so I did portraits of a hundred Austin musicians that uh, I think tell a story of who they are and why they're important and a lot you know there are some big names like Willie Nelson and Lyle Lovett and um, people like that and you know I photographed lots of rock stars and stuff over the years um, but uh, nobody, I was meditating one day and the idea came to me like, oh, do a book on Austin musicians, a coffee table book. And I went down to the big bookstore and it didn't already exist. So I was like, that's what <laughs> I'm going to do. And it was just, it was just green light after green light after green light. And um, so that's what I uh, set out to do. And I, it sounds crazy, but I wrote the book and chased down a hundred touring musicians uh, in 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 six months and and photographed all of them and I had to fly some of them in and I had to go to Nashville for one of them and uh, but I was so worried that somebody else would come up with the same idea and you know that would be bad because you can't sell two books at the same time yeah um, anyways it, it was it was all in all it was a great success and then it led to the embarrassing story that I wanted to share with you how the second book came to be <laughs> well, um, well let's yeah. go Okay, so one night during the um, big festival, South by Southwest Music Festival in spring, where the whole world comes to Austin to listen to music, 
um, <clears throat> I had had, I had a, uh, so I had these portraits of musicians and I had them in a gallery that's also a live music venue and a bar. And I had been warned about doing something during the festival because everybody's competing for an audience. And I had already had about 12 book signings and I had concerts and, and all these big fun events. And I knew like none of the locals are going to come out during South by Southwest because the traffic is horrible and whatever. But I'd already <laughs> I'd already booked the room, so I had it. And the the event started I think at 8 p.m. And I looked at my watch like five minutes before, and there's like nobody there, nobody. <laughs> and I have I have my big stack of books and my sharpie, and I'm starting to get a little nervous. And um, I had put my iPhone or my it might have been an iPod music player on the sound system and I was playing the music of these artists so it was just a shuffle yeah so a few a few people started to sprinkle in and but they weren't there for me they were just grabbing a beer and I was like oh my god now what happens if somebody that I actually know shows up then I'm going to feel like a loser because there's nobody here. <laughs> and then the, then there's so there's like 10 12 people in the bar and uh some of them are looking at my pictures and then the iPod shuffles to one of my self-help books. And it's a book called Dealing with Anxiety and Depression <laughs> uh, by Lucinda Bassett. And I'm like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. They all, they're all going to know I'm a nut job. <laughs> and, oh. I mean, I was just sweating through my Western shirt. And I was like, oh, I just wanted to melt and disappear. And um, so I was thinking it was this horrible evening. But then, you know, you blink and 20 minutes later, some of your friends showed up and then the next thing you know, there's like 40 people and then 70 people. So, um, so it was, it was better, but it was, it was very awkward at the beginning. And then this gentleman comes up to me and he goes, Hey, I want you to know that the way that you did your book is the future of publishing. And I was like, really? Well, that's flattering. I said, uh, who, who are you? May I ask? And, um, he said he was a publisher and I was like, really? And he said, what's your next book going to be about? And I was like, oh, I have an idea um, because I love adventure books and I've re read every book about somebody riding a bicycle or a motorcycle, either from Alaska to Argentina or around the world. And um, I just devour those kind of stories. And um, I, uh, I told him nobody's written a book on a domestic adventure. And yet I know there's a thing called the Trans-America Trail, which is basically coast to coast on dirt roads. And I wanted to do it on my motorcycle. And I said, but what, what kind of stuff do you publish? And he said, motorcycle stuff. <laughs> I was like, no way. And um, so I, I blink. And then the next thing I know, I'm out there doing the Trans-America Trail um, with two buddies. And so just so happened that two of my friends were able to get the time off of work, or actually one of them was unemployed and one of them was uh, able to get the time off of work. So then we're, you know, riding across America on little gravel roads and sometimes trails and, uh, yeah. And it was a hoot. Um, only thing is things kind of came unraveled sort of across the board. Um, we, we had some, um, we had some mechanical issues with the bikes when we got to higher altitudes that the motorcycles, I'm not going to geek out and tell your people a bunch of motorcycle stuff, but at high altitude, the engine needs oxygen and um, you have to change some things for that. But one of the bikes was struggling and it wouldn't, it wouldn't perform. It wouldn't really go at altitude. So we tried to get that fixed. And then um, me, myself and one of the other riders were quarreling some because um, 
we had differences of opinion of how pure we needed to stay to the trail. Um, uh. Really quickly, we had we had met um, Sam Carrero, who is the pharmacist who mapped out this trail in his spare time. So on weekends, he'd go out, <laughs> he'd just he'd have a stack of maps and he'd just route this thing. And you can buy these maps from him at it's called the TAT Trans America Trail. And he's got a website where you can buy these maps and thousands of people do it. Um, but again, there was no book on it. And um, we had we went by his house and the guy is like super Southern gentleman, but also kind of Zen in his own way. And uh, he's like, you know, when y'all going to be in Colorado? And I was like, <laughs> why? And he goes, well, I'll ride across Colorado with you. And I was like, ooh, 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 we got to do that. We got to do that. <laughs> and so, but if we stayed true to the tat in Mississippi and, and, and Oklahoma, um, we probably miss him because uh, it just takes takes longer on these dirt roads because you're you're making zigzags yeah and um also it was just kind of hot and then in oklahoma we had tornadoes blah 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 long story short lots of obstacles happened um but if i'm honest there were several things that i wasn't able to do because i was suffering from panic attacks a lot um kind of six weeks of panic attacks um and the, I didn't even know it at the time, but I have um, lots, of, about a third of Americans go through some sort of period of, um, uh, you know, extended anxiety or depression. And then um, my version of it is agoraphobia. And agoraphobia, it's a little confusing. It, it can be a fear of crowds. It can be um, that sort of thing. But what you're really most afraid of is having a panic attack. So oh. if you if you had a if you went to a concert once and you tried to wriggle up, I was at a concert in Austin one time and Johnny Depp got on stage, and it just got so crowded. Like in ten seconds, I was I felt like I I, I was going to die. I was like a tiger in a cage and I could not breathe or get out of there. But I mean I would have chewed my way out. Um, and your fight or flight thing gets triggered, and then you just want to run. You need to get out. But as I got older, I was having panic attacks on airplanes and wide open spaces and huh. um, small spaces. So, and if you're agoraphobic, your world gets smaller and smaller because you think, oh, I, if I go to the grocery store, I'm going to have a panic attack. And, and I was never that way. My, my triggers were just um, uh, tight spaces or like landscapes where there's no hills like nebraska or even eastern oregon or washington and um i but i hadn't flown in a long time and i hadn't had any um actually i'm getting ahead of myself but that i thought on this trip i could cure myself by just facing the fear yeah. and people with a fear of heights um have tried to fix their cure cure their fear of heights by jumping out of airplanes it doesn't work <laughs> it, just, it just it just traumatizes you uh, more. There's a great book called Nerve by Eva Holland, who's a Canadian. She's a rock climb uh, ice climber, and uh, it's a great book. She'd probably be a good interview for her. Tell her I sent you. Anyways, um, she uh, she had a fear of that, and she found her own methods for dealing with it. But she did discover that jumping out of a plane is not it. And what I discovered is riding across the country was not really it so we we made it to the oregon coast but we you know we sort of like 
hafted the trail and 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 so we had some great adventures but there was just this nagging thing and then i spoke to a person who had used that same publisher and he said man that guy owes me six grand from three years ago so i was like oh great so i had this book that i had written but i didn't it was sort of half baked and wasn't i don't know it wasn't as compelling and i hadn't really grown enough for the story to be um anything super compelling um and then i'll fast forward just a little bit um so the book was just sitting in limbo but what did happen because i rode across the entire united states was i saw oregon and after 600 miles of flat um desert and the nevada deserts which are just it was just dust storm after dust storm of you know really hot <laughs> hell scary stuff um I got to Oregon and it's like, there's trees and there's antelope in the forest and there's e bald eagles everywhere. And I was like, this place is amazing. And so I, because of that adventure, I actually um, ended up moving to Oregon. Okay. And because I moved to Oregon, I ended up getting a divorce <laughs> and uh, she was like, man, this is, this isn't my scene. And I'm like, what are you talking about? There's like canyons and rivers and mountains. I mean, I can ski and fly fish in the desert in the same day. Yeah, that's pretty amazing. Um, so I was, yeah, the the lifestyle here is so, I haven't regretted it um, for a minute. And, um, you know, at the beginning of this conversation, you were saying, you know, who are you? What, what's your work? What's your hobbies? I was like, okay, what could I do? What could I do? To, what could I say to tell them how cool I am? And, and I was like, oh, I, I definitely have to tell them that I was a mountain bike guide for a while. That's cool. But then the reality is I, I'm, I work at a retail store right now. Um, yes, I was a, you know, my pictures were published in the New York Times and I, I got a, I got a, a platinum record from, for some band shots that I did one time and, and I, lots of national publications and, and I taught at the University of Texas in the journalism department. But these days I work at a retail store that sells outdoorsy stuff. Um, and uh, I, I write, I, I wrote this book and, um, but the, the reason that the book gets interesting is because I decided, I, I actually met my partner now. And one of the first things she said was, we have to go do the parts of the tat that you were scared of. <laughs> she, she's European. so Pushing she you there. Me. Yeah. Well, she, uh, she's actually um, pushing in just the right way. She's yeah, encouraging, yeah. she's encouraging and um she rides motorcycles and she, um, we met on match.com and she saw that I had a motorcycle in one of my pictures. So she's like, that's my guy. So <laughs> I was, I was her first date. And, um, she, she usually joins me on these podcasts cause she's really funny and she's, uh, she's a brilliant scientist. She has a PhD in coronavirus of all things. Interesting. And yeah. And she, but she's very outdoorsy and, and pretty, pretty fearless. But, um, so we went back and did all this, the parts that scared me so that the the stuff that i missed is because of fear i went back and did however i did get a bunch of therapy before that um and when we actually i was getting seeing a therapist before we got sort of serious and um we used cognitive behavioral therapy for me to work through some of my um some of my to get get over the anxiety um and one of the well actually do you have any questions so far yeah uh, like, yeah no 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 you're fine that's and that's all that's i mean that's a 
very, very interesting story of kind of how how things progressed from Austin to the trail to meeting the publisher and, and everything like that. Yeah. Um, so, so you kind of mentioned, you know, doing the trail. So one question, I guess, you know, you mentioned having some fears on there and I know there were some, some part of this trail you skipped to try to meet up with, um, I, uh, his name is escaping me now in Colorado, but, um, what, so like when you say, you know, the part of this, the trails that you were afraid of, what, what, yeah. what was it? Was it because it was kind of that openness and that was kind of triggering that? Or was it, you know, hey, I'm on the side of the cliff because I'm sure there's a whole, whole different kind sure. of fear from that rather than anxiety. So, yeah. yeah. So what, what was kind of the, the, the reasoning behind that, I guess, if that makes mm -hmm. sense? Yeah. So in my mind, um, when, when like riding over the Colorado passes, you, you start off in the morning and you go up, you start at probably 6,000 feet and you go all the way up to 13,000 feet on these little Jeep trails. Okay. <laughs> and you're on a motorcycle and there's lots of like rock ledges and um, uh, switchback turns that have lots of gravel. So it's a good opportunity to, to spin out your rear tire and fall over. Yeah. And <laughs> these, these motorcycles, they look like dirt bikes. Um, and, but they weigh about 400 pounds with all their gear on them. So when you're at 12,000 feet trying to lift up a bike that fell over, it gets a little rigorous. And um, my imagination is very colorful in the negative. So I, when I picture going up to that high, I'm worried like, okay, I'm going to get stuck up there because I'm going to get a flat tire. And then a storm's going to come in while I'm fixing the flat. And then I'll get hypothermic and I'll die. So that's my brain goes to the worst case scenario every single time. Um, and so in the Colorado passes, you know, my friend's bike was not performing well. And it kind of like I was sort of happy about it because I was terrified. <laughs> I was terrified. But, you know, we did we did go up to 11,000 feet. And uh, there's a spectacular pass just south of uh, uh, Telluride called Ophir Pass. And um, it it people don't think it's real because it's such a beautiful view um and then uh, also in the desert you know if you are um if you ran out of gas or you um got a flat tire or your engine something went wrong with your motorcycle um I mean, you know in the middle of nowhere in the middle of nowhere there's nobody to help you um except you know you're riding with another person or yeah. three, three the first time but I, I just have a, a very creative imagination in the negative. So um, I, I was afraid of a lot of those things. There was a canyon in the opening chapter of the book is this desert canyon north of Moab um, called Black Dragon Wash. And it was 96 degrees. My GPS was showing me a straight line and we're in this serpentine canyon. Um, there was a guy behind us that um, had broken his leg um there's boulders that you have to overcome and then sand when you get into sand your wheels just spin so my map is not working my gps is not working i'm the navigator and i've already ridden halfway across the country terrified and my two friends are really kind of over that <laughs> <laughs> so there's some interpersonal stuff because they're mad at me but um you know when i met gabriella she's like you know you're you're not going to be at peace with that until we go do it yeah. And, and the therapy, I'll go as deep as you want, but it, it, um, it basically, the thought behind it is if you trigger yourself gradually, um, 
So if you were afraid of a, well, I did this. So I was, I'm, a, I'm terrified of being enclosed and trapped on an airplane. So the first time I just went to the airport and I walked around in the airport lobby and I was like, okay, cool. And then the next time I went in there and booked us um, after the, after lots of therapy, um, I finally did a short flight. But be even before that, I was going into caves by my house and going into incrementally, like over the course of a month and a half, I would go into the cave deeper and deeper where eventually um, I was able to go into where it's about as tall as where a raccoon would fit, just like oh. two feet tall. Yeah. <laughs> and it's pitch, pitch dark and I would have to turn off my headlamp and just sit in the darkness until I was okay with it. So, you know, I can touch this, I'm laying on my back and I can reach my hand in front of my face and touch the ceiling. And of course, you know, my, my brain goes dark. So I think it's, there's going to be an earthquake. There hasn't been one in 10,000 years, but there's going to be an earthquake. <laughs> yeah. And, um, but it, you know, it really kind of worked. And, um, and then, so the next thing to do was to get on a short airplane flight. And uh, so I did that. And then I was like, well, maybe, maybe I can do this, you know, maybe, um, and when I was, when I was in my twenties, I, I was completely fearless. I'd go, you know, I went backpacking in Copper Canyon, Mexico. Well, you know, it's like five times bigger than the Grand Canyon. And I was by myself and there's drug lords with M16. <laughs> the, the sheriff got murdered when I was down there. And I was just having the time of my life. Oh, whatever. Yeah. No, no worries at all. But, you know, I get, as you get older, you, you, um, your comfort levels can change, but I wasn't, I didn't want to keep living with this fear. I was sick of it. Yeah. So, so question with that, and that, that kind of totally makes sense, you know, um, with the therapy kind of, you know, almost taking those, those little steps of getting back and reducing that fear. Mm -hmm. So as you're doing that and like, as, as you're kind of taking those steps, you know, from the airport, okay, that's okay. And then start doing the caves and smaller caves and that's okay. Yeah. When I, I guess, are I guess, have you sort of like trained your mind to sort of you know, when you're in that situation, try to reframe that, I guess, yeah. more or less yeah. those, those negative or bad thoughts. Is that kind of what that that's process exactly. sort of looks like? Yeah, that's exactly what it is. It's, it's called habituation. And um, it's, it has to be gradual. And um, you, but you do need to, you do, you, you can't just be so gradual that you're not getting scared at all. Okay. Yeah. And um, the, um, it's this therapist office is a trip when you go in there like the pictures on the wall are crooked for the, his ocd patients <laughs> and he's got drawers when you open the drawer up there's like there's spiders and jars and oh, really and everything in there is a horror to somebody you know and um what he did with me, i'll tell you two more stories that are hilarious so i'm paying the guy 150 bucks an hour and i put this all on a credit card because i was like <laughs> i was just so sick of it and i was i i met somebody at a wedding who had seen this therapist and she's like every symptom you described, I used to have. And I was like, are you kidding me? And I was like, there's a way out. And I, I had tried medication. I used to drink too much. I had tried, um, you know, uh, all kinds of, um, I went to other therapists and I did all these tapping things and none of that worked till I did this cognitive behavioral therapy. And uh, but anyways, I'm paying this guy 150 bucks an hour. And he's like, okay, we're gonna do something a little weird. He takes me into the closet in his office and he handcuffs me to the file cabinet. <laughs> and then he uh, closes the door, puts a chair against that door, goes out for coffee. Wow. 
<laughs> so is he just like tell you okay this is what i'm gonna do and we're gonna see what happens <laughs> yeah he does yeah he tells you that and uh i don't know if he really went for coffee he might have been in the hallway yeah but he doesn't tell you and uh you know the first time i went to see him i took the stairs because i was afraid of the elevator and by the time i was done with him i would i would like get on the elevator and not even press the buttons for a while yeah and uh but then uh yeah the very last session i had with him i'm and again, this is very gradual. And this is it, the point is to trigger your fear and sit with it. And when you're in fear, your body's uh, parasympathetic, or sorry, the sympathetic nervous system, your fight or flight system kicks in. So the blood leaves your extremities, your heartbeat accelerates, and it's meant to make you smarter, faster. So you can, you know, get the heck either you either you freeze or you run like hell from the bear or whatever. Yeah. And in some situations that saves our lives. And, um, and then if you do have a freak out, like a legitimate freak out, then afterwards your body goes into recovery. That's when the parasympathetic nervous system kicks in. And this is, um, it's instead of fight or flight, this is called, um, eat, uh, feed and breed. It's, it's just where your body slows down and you, you might be relaxing. I mean, I'm getting confused why the breed part is in there, but whatever. Um, you you're if you get a panic attack you're gonna eventually calm down anyways and by doing deep diaphragmatic breathing you sort of trick your body into doing that anyway so your body is now if you take these deep breaths it just takes like about 10 breaths and you do that you're telling your nervous system like hey the bear is already down the trail he just looked at us he's not he's not attacking us he just passed so the bear is going bye bye now and we don't have anything to worry about. And, um, but the best, uh, the one that makes everybody either confused or laugh at me is um, he, uh, he uh, had me in a mummy bag and I'm handcuffed in a, in a small mummy bag, breathing through a straw. Oh. And, and he's like, are you freaked out yet? And I was like, you know, I've done a couple of practice runs with this at home, not the handcuffs, but uh I'm actually not freaked out. And he's like, okay, we're, we got to take it up a notch. So he sits on my legs. So I can't move my legs at all. And he's like, okay, are you there yet? And I'm like, no, I wish I was, but I'm not. He goes, okay, hyperventilate. So I start hyperventilating. And then I'm like, red alert, red alert. I'm like, get me the hell. You know, I wanted to get the hell out of there. He goes, are you freaked out? And I go, totally. He goes, good. And I was thinking in my head, like, how is this legal? Shouldn't, shouldn't I have told him a safe word or something? He's like, no, we're just, he goes, we're just going to sit here in the fear. And it really just tames the the dragon, man. It, it's really wild. But, um, and, and if you do this enough, you're actually physically rewiring your city. Yeah. So, um, you know, and, and if people aren't as weird as me, they can do, I don't know, maybe they can get it from just doing some mild fear or going jogging and meditating, but I had to, this is what it took for me to, um, to do it. And it's not that I, um, it's not that I don't have the fear. It's just, I don't believe the stories I tell myself as much. Okay. That makes so, sense. Yeah. Um, and the stories aren't as ridiculous, you know, I, and actually before I actually visited my father in Wisconsin. So it was my first, first flight of any duration. I did two, two flights uh, before that. And then I had a four hour flight, which doesn't sound like a big deal, but to me it was. And I gave myself permission. I was like, you know what? I might freak out and that's okay. Cause I've freaked out thousands of times before and it's never, and it was actually fine. Like both ways. 
So yeah, yeah. So I had this debilitating fear, and I worked through it. And you know, I I hope that my book can be helpful to other people. Well, I, I know it'll be helpful because I've already had people that read it say, um, you know, I didn't. I've never heard a man talk like that before. I've never heard a man uh, uh, talk about his fears. I, I my first book signing was at a motorcycle rally a few weeks ago, oh. and. Yeah, big motorcycle rally out in the desert, but it's not it's not Sturgis. These are adventure riders, so okay, they're uh, you know they wear helmets and they wear protective clothing, and but they like to get out there and you know go to the more remote places. And I had dozens and dozens of men come up to me and say, you know, like that I had no idea. I thought I was the only one that had those thoughts, and I'm like, nope, I don't think so. So um, yeah, it's been it's been exciting so far. Um, Anyways, I've been talking too long. Do you no, to no, that's awesome, and I and I really appreciate you sharing that. I mean, the, the especially that that type of therapy. I mean, it as crazy as it sounds, you you saying some of those things, it, it does it totally makes sense at the same time of of how that you know can sort of rewire your brain and kind of help you or anybody deal with those kinds of kinds of situations um, where that fear is triggered. Um, mm-hmm. So so after all that was was the ride finishing up the rest of that trail um you know going back and doing it was was it was it pretty smooth going sort of like it was with that that first you know four hour flight um or or were there still some instances you know where you had to you know kind of uh i'm trying to think of the word i'm trying to say but you know trying to trying to get stuff back together or whatnot yeah yeah it was still it was still challenging because you you're um you know, when, when we got over the Colorado passes this time, you know, again, my mind thought it's going to be thunderstorms and mudslides. And we get up there to the top and it's like, I think there were some kids and their grandparents that had ridden ATVs up there and the sun shining and Gabriella's in a great mood. And, you know, it was challenging, um, but we did it. And then I was just singing in my helmet and I was on cloud nine and, um, uh, so happy and so it was apparent then that okay this this therapy actually worked and you know what we still had to go you know 2,000 miles across deserts and more way lots and lots of mountain ranges and camp you know we were camping in very remote wildernesses wilderness areas and um uh there was one area nobody's ever heard of called uh crystal peak in in utah so there's a range of black mountains that you see in the distance. And then smack dab in the middle, there's this white one that sparkles. And you're like, what the heck? Why is that mountain sparkling? It, it looks like Wizard of Oz or something. It's crazy. Um, <laughs> but that was a good like hour and a half south of the loneliest road in America, loneliest highway in America. So you, I mean, there's absolutely nobody out there and um, it's hot. I mean, it was last summer was, I mean, what? You know, I guess this one will probably be worse, but it was like 105, <laughs> 105 degrees outside. And, um, you know, once, once we're headed back to the, it was funny, we were heading back towards the highway and I was like, oh my God, I don't see the highway. I don't see the highway. And I forgot that it was the loneliest road in America. So you don't see much traffic on that. Yeah. Um, but once I saw that and I was like, okay, it's, it's like 10 miles away and I can kind of see it. So if I had to, I could walk there or something, but, um, yeah, it's, you know, you slowly start telling yourself like, hey, you know what, it might be okay. Um, you know, when I got divorced, I thought, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be poor forever, I'm gonna die alone. And, 
everybody that sees my current partner is like, you lucky son of a, <laughs> so, um, and yeah, things are, things are great. You know, intimacy, things are great. Uh, financially things are, everything's just fine. And even though my imagination would, would tell me, um, otherwise, and, and you know, I, I just have to, um, I have to keep living well, a life in motion so that I um, see where the road goes and be open to, you know, even things that seem bad might turn out really, really good. Um, And I, I mean, I had a flat tire on, uh, we were up in, up near Mount St. Helens in the woods a couple of days ago. And I got a, on the way home, I got a flat tire right on the, a busy, busy, busy Portland bridge going over the river. And there's 18 wheelers whizzing by me and I'm on a, flat tire motorcycle which is scary as heck and and the bike gets all squirrely and i had to pull over and um deal with that and but you know it was scary at the time but now i know okay well i survived that and i was able to limp home by putting some sealant in my tire and airing it up and just stopping and airing it up three times on the way home so it's just experience you know yeah yeah, that makes that that makes sense. And it's um and it sounds like getting getting outdoors and all that stuff is kind of still keeping kind of that that almost zen to it and it's still giving you those different uh experiences, sort of, you know, like that that one on you know, stuck on the side of the bridge or whatnot, you know. Yeah. Um, to be able to go through that. How how long did it take, I, I guess, from from the time that you started, I guess, the therapy uh with that guy to to like where the where you're at now where you're you're way more yeah. comfortable with it like I, what was that what was that timeline like I didn't ask that originally so one of the best things he told me in one of our first sessions was he said if I do my job correct you're done in six to eight sessions and I was like are you kidding me because most I mean were, you, were you doing like a session a month or every other week uh, or? I was doing it like every other week okay um, and uh He's, he's in Bend, Oregon, um, but, uh, and he's great, Dr. Jason Richards. Um, in any case, uh, but when he told me that, I was like, most therapists want you to come and see them for years because yeah. that's, you know, you're, you're going to buy them a speedboat, right? You know, if there's yeah. 12 of you. So um, they want you to, they don't necessarily want to fix you. And this guy's like, yeah, man, this, this thing works. And I was like, that's what I want. That's what I want. And, um, and yeah, my experience is that it totally did. And, uh, you know, when, if you suffer anxiety, you probably also dip into depression and it can get really bleak. So like I said, my, I hope for people that still suffer or people who, whose world is shrinking because of fear, I hope that some of them can hear my story and, you know, maybe their world gets a little bigger because, um, you know, we only get to go around once, so. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's true. And, you know, and, and that, yeah, six to eight sessions. I mean, that sounds great. And it's cool that you found somebody that, like you said, wasn't trying to buy a speedboat off you yeah, yeah. <laughs> from your sessions. Yeah. Um, so, so like, you know, we mentioned the book and stuff like that. What is what it, of course, I guess the whole conversation was probably the biggest takeaway, but what, what is the biggest, you know, since it's, it's a unique story, you know, with the adventure and stuff, but also kind of, you know, this, um, you know, tell, telling the other side of the coin as well with the fear and anxiety and yeah. stuff like that. What is the biggest thing that you want people to, to take away when, after reading your book? 
Yeah, so I think the there's lots of little um, tidbits, but I think the 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 most important one is uh, like you know I told you earlier like I've met some celebrities and blah 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 and been published in some prestigious places, but I if I had one thing to say on my gravestone or something, it would be he wasn't afraid to ask for help. Um, I think that's my greatest accomplishment and. Um, I don't know why some guys have such a tough time with that, but um, you know, the anxiety is my is not my only issue. I used to uh, uh, I couldn't turn off my uh, party valve for many years, and um, I got help with that stuff. And um, you know, I couldn't couldn't do it on my own. And with this anxiety, I couldn't do it on my own. And it's 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 okay. You're not a weakling. You're not a wimp. Um, if you need, if you struggle with any of these things, you're a human being and, and man, we live in weird times. I mean, la, la, six months ago, <laughs> the, the whole world was caving in and I lived, I live in an area where we had a wall of fire heading our way. That was like 60 miles across. It's like, yeah. it's a, it's a weird time to be alive. And of course we, people are afraid. Like, who, how could you not be, you know, it's going to be 107 here this weekend in Portland, Oregon. Like what, how that's weird, you know? Yeah. So um, yeah, it's weird times, and um, you know, it's much easier if you can do it with others. And and now, and when you when you meet somebody that also has these fears, you can laugh about how crazy your imagination is, <laughs> you know, because you. And that's what I by talking about this stuff, I've really discovered I am far from alone with this stuff. Lots and lots of people have have weird ideas that, you know, not stuff that's. My book is nonfiction, but the my imagination is all fiction. Yeah. And that, and I mean, that's such a good point too. Like you said, you know, a lot of, um, I mean, especially guys, you know, have, they have the, the fear of seeming, seeming vulnerable or less superior or whatever, yeah. uh, adjective you want to, wouldn't put in there, um, or verb you want to put in there to admit that, Hey, I, something's going on here. I don't know what it is, but I'm not going to ask for help for whatever reason either until it gets to a, a breaking point sometimes, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, it's, yeah. Yeah. Um, no, it's and my uh, partner. She's, um, you know, she has a little bit of fear. Like when we're riding the motorcycles, she's afraid of um, some of the bigger rocks. And there's these rocks called baby heads that sometimes it, like the trail will be full of them for miles. And um, she broke her hand uh, riding uh, a border. Uh, she rode across Washington state from one side to the other and she hit some of these baby heads and broke her hand. But she, with a broken hand, she drove the rest of the trail wow. and down through downtown park, uh, Portland with a broken hand. And she was like, I asked her about it. She's like, oh, I wasn't, you know, it wasn't that bad. I was just, it hurt, but I'm afraid. <laughs> I was like, man, you're made of tougher stuff than me. But I, think, I think women, women support each other and they think it's okay to talk about emotions and guys. I mean, there's a saying, um, you know, why guys fish? It's because they can't say, hey, Jason, do you want to go down by the river and talk? <laughs> That's a good <laughs> yeah. point. <laughs> like, like, yeah, you can't, guys got to have an activity, but whatever. It's um, in my case, uh, you know, getting help has been the biggest change. But then other other little things like let's say you, you had um, other people that do outdoorsy stuff. Um, oh, oh, this is one, too. Not all fear is bad, you know, like it's good to have some fear that way you don't try to feed a, a mountain lion the other half of your cliff bar you know yeah <laughs> you should be you should be afraid of some things and 
I was actually scolding myself yesterday because I went through my uh, motorcycle gear and I didn't have half the stuff I needed to fix a flat tire. So I need to have enough fear to be prepared. Yeah. Um, so if somebody's like a, um, if somebody's a uh, mountain trail runner, they should have, you know, maybe they need to have another layer with them or maybe they need to have a, a, a emergency device to signal they need help. Um, so a, a little bit of fear is good and it can keep you from, you know, if you're mountain biking, don't forget your patch kit because you might need to, that to get home, you know? Yeah, so. that, that's it. Yeah, that's a good point. You got to understand some or use that to understand some boundaries or some to, yeah. to kind of be prepared for mm -hmm. situations such as that. Yeah. So I know, you, I know you mentioned, you know, the biggest thing with, with the book, uh, you know, to, to kind of share those stories and, and kind of um, uh, more or less encourage other people to, to ask for help if they need it. But what, what, what I guess, is in a piece of advice that you'd offer for someone, you know, that needs that help, but maybe they're afraid to, <laughs> yeah, afraid or have a fear of of you know like I said earlier you know being vulnerable opening up and kind of sharing their emotions that way um, what what would be that that advice for them so I would say um you know this is actually one good thing about COVID is uh it taught us all that you can connect with the world from your bedroom yeah or your living room you know you can you can turn on the, the computer and get in a zoom meeting and there's all kinds of support groups for all kinds of stuff. A lot of it's free. Um, but, uh, you know, I am not a therapist, um, but uh, one that specializes in cognitive behavioral therapy seemed to work really well for me. But, um, you know, uh, even if it's as simple as talking to your brother or, um, you know, whoever, there, there's support groups for any kind of fear any kind of, you know, if you have addiction issues or you're not sure if you have addiction issues, um, there's help for all that and that's all free. So, um, you know, just don't try to do it alone. And it, it's, it's actually, when you, when you do meet these other characters, it's, it's, it's a pretty funny ride because it's, uh, we've, we've had, we have, the, we have the best stories to tell. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Keep things interesting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But there's help out there. That makes sense. And, and kind of that made me think of another thing when you mentioned, you know, how, uh, you know, with the last year, year and a half, or however long it's been with the whole COVID thing, um, yeah. you know, a lot more connective, connective, connectiveness, there we go. Um, but, you know, and almost in that sense, too, you know, if you're if if you think that you might, you know, be in a certain place or whatnot, but you're not sure, but you're maybe also afraid to, you know, reach out to your best friend for whatever reason, just as an example, I mean, you can kind of do it uh, incognitively on, on the internet and kind of yeah. sort yeah. of gain some, some confidence that way to be like, okay, yeah, I, yeah, I do need to do this, you know, and yeah. then talk to somebody. So that's, you can, that's a you good can point. Turn your camera off and listen, you can, um, you can, uh, you can do it totally anonymously. You can, um, you know, if you call on telephone, they're not going to come through the telephone line and drag you down <laughs> to their office. You can talk to them first. Um, yeah, it's, it's, um, it's, you know, I've, I've actually, with my first book, I was terrified of public speaking. And um, there's a, there's an opening blurb that I wrote 
And um, it just talks about this sort of the struggle of starving artists and my respect for musicians. And I would, when I would read it, I would sometimes get choked up a little bit. Um, and I was afraid of choking up in front of people. But if I ever did, that's, that's when people would come up and say, man, that really meant a lot to me. <laughs> I was like, oh, really? Cool. You know, and I'm not saying I'm like pimping my own emotions for, for uh, money, but if, it, if I can help people, um, yeah, that, that's, that's worthwhile. So, yeah, definitely. So, so to that point, where can people find you online? Um, you know, pick up a copy of your book yeah. and kind of see, see what's kind of next. Okay. So, um, I'm, uh, I'm very easy to find because, uh, my website is the title of the book. So it's the topography of fear.com. Um, and uh, it's all lowercase. Uh, that used to not matter, but now it seems to. Um, yeah, so there's two Fs when it goes of fear. But And then also, if you Google me, you can probably find me on social, either Instagram. I have a YouTube channel. And, you know, my YouTube channel has stuff like, you know, both Gabby, Gabriella, and myself talking about, you know, lessons we learned, life lessons we learned from um, being on the trail and stuff. But uh, my, la my name is spelled a little weird. Matthew has one T. Uh, M-A-T-H-E-W, and my last name is S-T-U-R-T, E as in Elvis, V as in Victor, A-N-T, um, and that's, uh, yeah, on YouTube, Instagram, um, and if that doesn't work, my sort of business name is uh, Giddy Up Bike Adventures, and that was that was the name of my um, pre-COVID mountain bike business that kind of imploded when it became illegal to take people on guided tours. <laughs> so I, it was actually a, it was really kind of thriving, and it was like business was really amping up. And then uh, when COVID hit, you're like, oh gosh, that just doesn't do anything. Yeah, yeah. but it, <laughs> well, it's maybe, fine. Yeah, it's it fine. could be a, a revival. You know, I am, I am, as things are doing, coming around. Yeah, I am doing a couple bike tours in. Uh, in the next uh, in July, but I also moved um, the, where I used to live in Central Oregon. There's like 700 miles of trails, and and now I live in you know near near downtown Portland. So it, it's not a it's not cost effective uh, to travel three hours to go do a you know 45 minute bike tour. So whatever, it's it's fine. <laughs> I'm doing I'm doing the book right now, so that's that's working for me, and um, the response has been really good. So there you go. Well, everyone definitely go um, check out the website, check out, uh, uh, pick up a book, of course, and, and read the stories. You all can tell um, pretty in, in, inspiring story. Obviously, there's a lot of adventure in it, but also a lot of openness that I think would probably uh, help a lot, a lot of people as well. So anyways, Matthew, thank you for being on the show today. Um, and I, uh, I wish you the best of, of luck. All right. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening. And hey, if you made it this far and like what you've heard, go ahead and hit that subscribe button and let your friends know about life emotion. Until next time.